comes from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8 and 22 to 27, and chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of day, because there is no night there and all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practice shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've come to the final of our eight-week series in Immersed Messiah. Uh, many of you have been reading through the New Testament uh, in the New Living Translation over these last eight weeks. And uh, it's wonderful to be able to conclude uh, towards the end of this week, in the middle of next week, uh, reading the New Testament together. Let's pray together for a moment. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts. 
name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. It's perhaps uh, particularly pertinent to pray that prayer whenever we're dealing with Revelation. It's a book that is and has been greatly misunderstood uh, often uh, over many hundreds of years. And uh, this morning, we're just going to try to, I suppose, look at a bit of a framework of how do we, whenever we're reading Revelation, how do we understand what it says? How do we avoid falling into the traps which uh, sometimes have happened and do happen today as well in terms of reading Revelation? Sometimes it causes great fear in people in reading Revelation. Uh, It's for us to remember as believers in Christ, it's a book to give us comfort, to give us strength, uh, to keep us focused on Jesus Christ, to be a a blessing to us, and not to cause fear to rise up in us. So I thought we'd look at a few things, first of all, in terms of symbols. And uh, in these symbols, I'd like us to think, first of all, well, what is the symbol? And then to answer well, what does the symbol mean? Because those are two primary questions that it's really important to ask ourselves whenever we're reading the final book of the Bible, Revelation, because it's a book of symbols, and those symbols have meanings. So uh, hopefully we'll have a PowerPoint. Do we have a PowerPoint coming up? Yeah. Uh, may come up on the screen. So there's the first picture. So uh, what is that? It's a photograph. St. Conville's church building, the building in which we are sitting. And um, in terms of meaning, well, uh, what does a photograph mean? Um, We might say, well, photographs don't mean so much. They just represent what they see. Uh, It probably uh, means the fact that church buildings have been here for a long time when black and white photographs were in vogue. Uh, I don't think we can see any cars in sight whatsoever. And um, obviously, it's of a certain architecture, and that architecture represents uh, a theme, a period in history. Second symbol, please, is the one for our We Are With You, a symbol that has words on it. It has hope for the road to recovery. And so in that, we were trying to convey to the community the fact that we are in the midst by God's strength of a road to recovery. And this, the picture is a picture of a road heading towards a brighter future symbolized by the sun. It has a dotted line down the middle to symbolize a road and then the road going upwards into heaven. It's, it's trying to symbolize something of a journey of hope that we can be on if we put our hands into the hands of Christ and walk with him in the midst of the difficulties of life, including this pandemic. Next, it's a word that represents a symbol. So it's important for us to move from a place of visual symbols to a place of literary symbols. So that's why we have not a picture of a rainbow, but we have the word rainbow. So what does a rainbow mean? Well, we may say in recent times, a rainbow has come to symbolize uh, numerous things in the last number of years and decades, even in the last number of months during this pandemic. But for us who are immersed in Scripture, the rainbow is a symbol of hope that represents the Lord's promise never to destroy the whole world by flood again. So rainbow is a word that is a symbol that has meaning. Next slide, please, is from Revelation chapter 5, it's verse 6. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, 
But it was now standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. So when we read a verse like that in Revelation that is packed full of symbols, we may well ask, well, what on earth does that mean? If you read that symbol in isolation, we may say, what on earth does that symbol mean? It's conveyed in words, but it's describing symbols. It's not to describe a symbol which is for us to visualize, but a symbol for us to interpret. So in other words, what's really important for us in understanding Revelation is that Revelation is not portraying a series of photographs. So the photograph of Bangor Parish Church Buildings and Comgill's Church Building, that is, is not what Revelation is. Revelation is not trying to describe photographs. So it would be unwise for anyone ever to make a film about Revelation or even to do a picture book that tries to paint the pictures that are described in Revelation. They are not to be painted. They are not to be put on a film. They are for us to interpret. They are not for us even to imagine in our mind's eye necessarily. What would that look like if I painted it or I had a photograph of it? That's not what the symbols in Revelation are all about. The symbols in Revelation are for us to understand, to interpret, because they are theological symbols. And so the same is true of this verse. It's full of theological symbols that are written in words. And they only make sense to someone who is familiar with the Old Testament and the good news of Jesus Christ's incarnation, beautiful life, atoning death, miraculous resurrection, glorious ascension into heaven, and his promised return. All as being the way in which God is perfecting his kingdom on earth. Now, other words for revelation are apocalypse or unveiling. The word apocalypse, revelation, could equally be called apocalypse. And for us who have perhaps watched films but that have come out of Hollywood in recent decades, whenever we think of the word apocalypse, we think of disaster, we think of the end of the world. But that is not the meaning of apocalypse. Apocalypse means unveiling. It means the curtain behind history is drawn back, and in theological symbols we are given a glimpse as what, as it were, is happening behind the stage of history. What are the things that are influencing what we see in history on the stage happening by looking at what is happening in behind the stage, as it were? This was a style of Jewish religious writing that appeared between 2000 BC and 100 AD. So Revelation is not the first of its type. There are examples in the Old Testament like Daniel, certain chapters in Daniel, certain chapters in Zechariah. Uh, You could say that Ezekiel is like the father of apocalyptic writing in, in terms of the imagery that he uses. And so what it is, is a type of writing which uses theological symbols. Again, they're not meant to be visualized. Otherwise, the result would be grotesque. 
We aren't invited to visualize Christ as being a physical lion or a physical lamb with seven horns and seven eyes or as a horse rider. Christ is fully God and fully man, and he has a resurrected body that the disciples saw and touched. The same is still true of Christ today. He has ascended into heaven. But these symbols are ones that are packed with meaning to help us to live in the here and now as followers of Jesus Christ. So Revelation was probably written by the Apostle John while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. Perhaps during the reign of Emperor Domitian between AD 81 and 96. It was a time of extreme persecution for Christians, which is one of the reasons why John perhaps has chosen apocalyptic style in which to write his visions. Perhaps it was too dangerous to write in straightforward prose. How does a man who is a prisoner on an island in Patmos in very, very difficult living conditions, sent there because he's been a witness to Jesus Christ, how does he get a letter out that is written in straightforward prose? Perhaps that's why it's written in apocalyptic style. But it's not written so that the believers who receive the letters find it difficult to understand. The idea is that someone who perhaps intercepted the writing may not be able to make head or tail of it, but those who receive the letter will understand very clearly what it is saying. They will understand that it is a letter, a presentation of hope that includes letters. These visions are designed to strengthen the believers to persevere in the midst of terrible suffering. One of the things that struck me recently in, in watching a, a film about a family, a black family that were struggling in the midst of um, 1960s America and were, were struggling against the... Um, the oppression that was upon them in the, what part of the bus uh, they could or couldn't ride on, what buildings they were allowed to enter, uh, the jobs they were or not allowed to have. That in that place of persecution, in that place of often trying to overcome violence through passivity, often the things that strengthened those black Christian believers in America was having symbols of hope, songs of hope. I think it's difficult, I know, for me to understand what is it like to live in the midst of terrible persecution? What is it like to suffer violence and death for your faith? Perhaps only someone who lives in that environment is able to understand the importance of hearing the Christian gospel in symbols and songs like in Revelation. Of course, at the start of this book, there are seven named towns or cities in Asia, churches, the seven churches that are in modern Western Turkey. The number seven in Revelation is also symbolic. And so not only are we to take this number seven as somewhat symbolic, the churches are named. There were, there were more than seven churches among the towns and cities in 
Asia Minor at that time. Why does John only write to seven when there were more? He chooses seven because throughout Revelation, seven is a number that happens again and again, whether it's represented in seven or 144,000 or whatever it happens to be. Those numbers in apocalyptic literature are never meant to be taken literally. They're meant to be read symbolically. So the number 144,000 believers doesn't mean there will only be 144,000 believers. It is a symbolic number. In apocalyptic literature, both within the Bible and outside the Bible, numbers are not literal numbers. 666 is not a literal number. The numbers are purely symbolic. We are to understand, we are to explore, we are to reflect on what does the number mean. The number seven conveys God's perfect completeness. And so this letter is yes to the seven churches that are named, but also to the other churches in Asia Minor, and in fact to all churches at all times throughout history. This is a book that is primarily applicable to them, but it is something for every church and for every believer to consider. And so as we read or we hear Revelation, we are invited like those first hearers to lift up our eyes from the struggles of living for Christ in this present age and to look at the kingdom of God, both present and future. John writes to his fellow believers enduring persecution primarily at the hands of the Roman Empire. So, for example, in Revelation 17.9, the Roman city, Rome itself, the city of seven hills as it was known in antiquity, seems to be primary in John's mind when he says, this calls for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman, he's talking about Babylon, rules. John wants us to understand that Babylon represents non-Christian society organized without reference to God. All of us live in Babylon. We belong to heaven, but for now we must live in a foreign land. Revelation is not meant to be used as a predictive timetable for the present or the future. If anyone ever says to you, perhaps this world leader is, the, is a certain beast or certain representation of a symbol in Revelation, do not listen to what they say. So much fear has been struck into us by those who take Revelation as some sort of predictive timetable, and that we're meant to read the newspaper or watch the news at the same time as reading Revelation and try to correlate the figures that we see in the news, world leaders, with what we read in Revelation. That is not what Revelation is to be used for. In fact, Revelation contains the truth that can be found in the rest of Scripture. 
There is nothing that we read in Revelation that we cannot find in the rest of Scripture. The truth that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so this word of revelation from the Lord is to strengthen us, his people. It concerns the whole of the last days between the ascension of Christ and his second coming. Again and again, we hear people say, oh, I think we're in the last days. Of course we're in the last days. That is the whole message of the whole of the New Testament. Whenever Christ ascended into heaven, a truth that we declare week by week in the creed, we are declaring the fact that we are in the last days. We have been in the last days for 2,000 years. The four horsemen of the apocalypse of the revelation have been active for 2,000 years. They represent imperialistic aggression, bloodshed, economic instability, and death. Words that we can relate very much to the here and now. They mark every age until Christ returns. And so these symbols are ones that aren't meant to be predicted as a timetable. They are symbols that are happening in the here and now, and they run in parallel. The seals, the trumpets, and the bowls all describe the same period of time, the thousand years, a symbolic period of time, not a physical period of time, not a chronological period of time. The thousand years represents the last days in which we now live. We are in the last days. We are in the thousand-year period. All these symbols that we read in Revelation are happening in the here and now. And so let's hear the message of encouragement and challenge in Revelation for us today. As we read the first three chapters, we have this wonderful picture of the Son of Man among the lampstands. Again, it's a symbolic picture. The Son of Man is standing among the seven lampstands that represent the seven churches in the province of Asia, the ones to whom John writes his letters. The message is one of encouragement and challenge. Christ is here on earth by His Spirit among His churches. He sees everything. He is present. He understands our situation. He understands our struggle. And He provides honest and searching appraisal as well as encouragement. And so Revelation is not only a book of apocalypse, a book of revelation, a book of unveiling, unveiling it's also a book of prophecy. And prophecy just means hearing God's truth. Christ is saying to us, you're not alone. I, the head of the church, am among you. And he's also saying to us, I know everything about you. So repent. So at the very start of this word of encouragement, Christ wants us again, to draw close to Him, the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so He calls us to repent. 
And so as we read those first chapters in Revelation, perhaps there are things that the Spirit of God will speak to us about. As Christ challenges His church and says, have you forgotten your first love? Am I still first in your affections? Does the pattern and practice of your life indicate the fact that I come first in your affections? Is your life of prayer, your life of coming to church every week, your life of reading the scriptures to hear the voice of God, of receiving afresh the love of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, of living a life that represents Christ in word and deed. Is that the way we're living? Or is the Spirit of God saying to us, come, repent. Come, let's be honest with each other. Come and let's start again. Then in chapters 4 and 5, there's another picture symbol. This time, situated in heaven. The symbol is a heavenly one. The last one was on earth. Here we see God's throne in a setting of worship. The scroll of human destiny is held by the Lamb. So it's clear and obvious that John doesn't want us to try and picture this. How does a lamb that is slaughtered still live? How does a lamb hold a scroll? These pictures are not meant to be visualized. They're meant to be understood. Only the lamb is qualified to break open the seals and to rule. We understand the lamb is Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, through whose blood we have been delivered from death. And so in the midst of the challenges of this life, whether it's sickness or bereavement or disappointment or loss or a pandemic or broken relationships within families or among friends, Christ says to us, I have conquered. Believe. Believe that the Lamb is still on the throne. Believe that I am still in charge. Believe despite all you see that Christ is still on his throne in heaven. Then we have those many symbols that we've already mentioned, the bowls and the riders and many things that are happening in the here and now in the last days in the heavenly realms. And then in chapter 19, as we move towards the conclusion of Revelation, Christ riding on a white horse, a picture of Christ returning from heaven to earth, coming back for his own with a crown on his head and a sword in his mouth. Against all the forces allied against the church, Christ will return. It's a symbolic picture of deliverance. And Christ is saying to us, I am coming soon, so endure. Perhaps of all 
of the words in Revelations, these may be the ones that we find it most difficult to relate to because it is most easy for us to be at ease in the, in the modern world. I imagine if we were to go to parts of Sudan or North Korea, they would say to us, that's the most important word in Revelation. I'm hoping in these months ahead we'll have some uh, from Open Doors come and speak to us about the fact that today there are many, many millions of people, millions of Christians who are living in extreme places of persecution, who fear for their lives, who would love to be able to come and worship here in Northern Ireland in a place where we are free to walk in and out of the door and not have secret police watch us and follow us home, not to be beaten with our families in our homes or killed. There are so many Christians throughout the world who would love to have the freedom that we have to be able to read Scripture every day, to meet in groups and talk through it. For them, the word of Christ coming back for His church and saying, I am coming soon, endure, will be the most powerful, important symbol that they will read of in Revelation. And then in the final chapters, the picture language describing how God will judge and destroy Satan's power at the end of time and create a new world, completely free from evil. And symbols such as the beast, the false prophet, and Babylon used to describe the evil and sinful powers and structures and their ideologies will be thrown into the lake of fire together with those who do not belong to Jesus Christ. God is determined to fulfill His promise to make all things new, to perfect His kingdom, and to see justice done and evil destroyed. And so in those readings that we had that Bob read for us this morning from the last section of Revelation, there are symbols that are drawn from the earth now and from the Old Testament to describe in symbolic form what is indescribable. A new creation. A new creation that will look like a more beautiful version of the present in which some aspects have disappeared and some are new. And so there's a new creation. John describes seeing a new heaven and a new earth echoing Genesis chapter 1, the great restart restoration after everything has been spoiled by the fall. And in the Old Testament, the sea symbolizes the chaos of evil, the forces of chaos of evil. And so it says there will no longer be any sea. Again, that's not referring necessarily to the physical sea. It's representing the Jewish understanding of the sea as a symbol of chaos, as also is the wilderness. That's what John means when he says, I saw a place where there was no longer any chaos. A new Jerusalem symbolizing the kingdom of God, where he is to be worshiped and justice reigns. And there's no temple, no special place to meet with God, because God is everywhere. And the bride 
Often the Old Testament likens the relationship between a God and His people to a marriage, particularly in Hosea chapters 1 to 3. This marriage will be perfected in the new creation. Christ's bride, we will enjoy intimacy with Him, fulfilling the Lord's covenant promise, they shall be my people and I will be their God. It's a wonderful picture of the perfected kingdom of God. God's people drawn from all nations. In God's place, a new creation with no more death or mourning or crying or pain, a place where everything that we see that spoils creation now will be gone. A new Eden, a garden city with a river flowing through it and the tree of life. Again, symbols from Genesis chapters 1 and following in which we shall see the risen Lord Jesus in His physical resurrection body. But as our creed that we'll declare in a moment declares, we don't just believe in the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. We believe in our resurrection body. And we believe that we will be part and partakers in God's kingdom, not just as passive participants, but as co-rulers with God. That's why we've been made. That's why we've been placed in the midst of this cosmos to be those who with humility and wisdom from God exercise dominion and rule. And so in Genesis 1.28, God blessed the human beings and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And those words in Revelation 22 verse 5 that show the completion of that call. And they, those who are in Christ, will reign with Him forever and forever. This is a picture of life after heaven. Heaven is the environment in Christ that we live in, in a timeless environment when we move from this place through death. We are in Christ, our spirit in His. But there will be, the Bible says, life after heaven in a new heaven and a new earth, when we will have resurrection bodies just as Christ has a resurrection body. And so Christ says to us, I know everything, therefore repent. I have conquered, therefore believe. I am coming soon, therefore endure. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we read the wonderful truths presented in Revelation, we realize afresh that we are a future people living in the present. We live in Babylon. We are citizens of heaven living in the here and now. We have the mark of Christ on us through baptism. More than that, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the gift of life in Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for the gift of Scripture. Thank you for the gift of the New Testament that we've been reading in these days. Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would indeed convict us of what is wrong in our lives. We know, Lord, that you do that not to bring condemnation, but to bring life and hope and joy and peace and health and goodness in our lives. Lord, we hear your call to endure, to remain faithful to you above all else and all others. We declare afresh that you are God, that you are in charge, that you are on the throne of heaven. Strengthen us afresh by the power of your Holy Spirit. May our minds be full of the truth of Scripture. May our hearts be filled with worship and love. May our lives convey your peace so that others will look upward to you and discover Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever, our Lord and Savior. Amen.